Today on Novell Open Audio, we talk to the guys behind IT Rockstars, and we have Amin Martz back in talking to us about data classification, next on Novell Open Audio. Welcome to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell community with what's going on inside and around the Novell universe. I'm your host, Aaron Quill. I'm Randy Goddard. And I'm David Mayer. And welcome to Novell Open Audio. Aaron, you left us high and dry for a couple of weeks. Where have you been? Oh, man, I've been all over. Let's see. In just the past five weeks, I've been to Australia, California, Brussels, uh, Nuremberg, as well as the Czech Republic. So I've been traveling all over the world. In, in, in fact, I leave in another day for Mexico. So I'm really just in for two days. Leaving <laughs> and, and you guys. What I'm curious and, is how much of that was uh, was skateboarding. So California was skateboarding. And I, yeah, I, this was that paid. Uh, yeah, that paid trip. Right? Yeah, I, I went to Woodward West, which is a very very serious uh, skateboard camp, and went there and felt extremely old. And got blown away by nine and ten year old kids that are better skaters than I will ever be. How much mileage did you get on that Learjet? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trust me, it's not a Learjet. Um, but outside of you know vacation and doing some cool uh, trainings on some of our new data center products, which is what I was doing in Australia and Brussels, I had an opportunity to do something extremely cool, and that of course is Hack Week. Now, we're not going to get into Hack Week right now because we're actually going to do a dedicated uh, podcast to Hack Week to explain exactly what it is and what kind of fun we had. In fact, Dave, you were involved with it too, weren't you? Randy was as well. We both <laughs> sat in over here doing our own little fun little projects. Cool. So, again, we'll cover that more in detail when we do our dedicated episode on that and bring people up to speed with exactly what Hack Week was. Awesome. But this week, we got something else to talk about, which is IT Rockstars. So I wasn't here when you guys uh, did this interview. I'm not familiar with IT Rockstars. Can one of you guys just give me a quick overview of what it is? It was a web promotion that allowed Novell customers to present their own environment as a challenge to Novell's finest field people. So pretty much uh, customers were writing in describing their situations and their IT challenges That's and then right. asking for help? Yeah. And, and what are we going to do for the people who win? We get into that in the interview, but the winners are going to get free services from Novell. Cool. Well, let's check out the interview. With us in the studio today, we have Matt Bowman, Director of Marketing of Novell Global Services. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks. Good to be here. We also have with us Clint Carroll, affectionately titled our executive producer of Novell Open Audio. Welcome. Thank you. And thanks for better be careful what we say if you have the executive producer. Yeah, but that room. does bring up an interesting question. You know, what exactly does an executive producer do? Uh, not much. Just uh, <laughs> stock the water bottles and uh, <laughs> make sure you guys are happy here in the studio. So, Matt, we're here to talk about Dovell's IT Rockstar program. What's that all about? Well, in working with our Novell consulting organization, we realize that there's so much expertise out in, the, out in the field with all the customers that they work with every day that we thought it'd be fun to put together a little video clip of them speaking about some of their experiences and post them up on Novell.com and invite customers to apply to win one of them for a day. 
So it was a competition to win an IT rock star for a day, and uh, we're excited to see all the applications that came in, and we're going so, through the selection process. So great IT people at Novell get to put together their YouTube video, and Novell customers get to vote on them in the hope of getting that Novell superstar to come and visit? That's right. That's where the IT Rockstar promotion, and we launched June 1st, and we just wrapped up last Friday. So it's a competition not only for the customers in competing to get the IT Rockstar, but it's also a competition among the IT Rockstars to be the Rockstar that the customer will win. Is that correct? Yes. During the promotion, I had multiple of the Rockstars email me and ask me how many were requesting them, how many had picked their video. So... Uh, yeah, they had an element of competition in, in their mind as well. <laughs> How many rock stars did we have enter? We had four. We had one for each of the Novell business units. We had one for Linux. We had one for OES. We had one, an expert on Zenworks, and another one on Identity Manager. And who are they? So our IT rock star for our Zenworks area was Jeff Loomis. He's a, a senior consulting principal for Novell. Uh, Galen Dent was our identity manager expert. Tim Cuny was our expert for Linux. And Sean Hoops was our IT rock star for OES, all of them from our services organizations. And I understand that one of them really is a rock star. Yeah, Tim Cuny has his own band, Project Greenfield, and uh, so he and he looks like a rock star if, if you were to look at him. And uh, we linked up to his his band up on our site as well. So yeah, check him out in the Bay Area if you're ever ever out there. Tell me about the application process. Well, what we wanted to do was invite customers to share a little bit about their IT challenges, and then also we invited them to be a little bit creative. We put an area where they could put a link to their blog or to a YouTube video, or to, uh, we encouraged limericks or poems, or we got all sorts of uh, input, so it was quite, quite clever, our customer base. How's the competition going to be won? The IT Rockstar Selection Committee is right now reviewing all of the applications. We're reading through all the IT issues that were submitted, and uh, it's exciting to see the, the amount of submission from all over the world. Uh, we have applications from South Africa, Bulgaria, uh, Finland, Egypt, Albania, China, Pakistan, Vietnam, Indonesia, uh, Ecuador, Brazil, and, and almost every state and province in U.S. and Canada. So it's been pretty exciting to see the response. Do the rock stars get involved and get to choose where they want to go on vacation? <laughs> no. Uh, we did have one from Hawaii. We had one from uh, the Falkland Islands that said it's the most beautiful land far, far away. And uh, But... No, we'll, uh, we'll just just for the record, the Falkland Islands is in the South Atlantic, off the coast of Argentina, and still owned by the British Empire. Never yes. said a word. <laughs> <laughs> How many applications did you get? We received hundreds. We had from all different industries, from all different countries and geos around the globe, multiple languages. So it was, it was pretty exciting. And what's the timetable for uh, selecting winners? By July 15th, we'll have all the winners announced and posted. So we'll have the four winners for the consultant for a day. We also have some other prizes from our services group. So another 10 customers are going to have a chance to have a one-on-one 30-minute -on -one call with a backline support engineer on the product of their choice. 
So, so again, that could just, be you or Randy, right? No, me, I'm a developer. <laughs> yeah, he's a developer now, but it could be me. So, again, a lot of our customers just have a set of questions. They just want to drill an expert for a day and get kind of an outside perspective. So the top four are going to receive a consultant for a day. The next 10 are going to get a support call with the top-line, back-line engineer. And another 20 customers are going to get a free pass to an ATT online class. So this is a four-hour hands-on advanced technical training course delivered by an ATT engineer on the products of their choice. So uh, we really are excited about the different levels of services that customers can have access to through this promotion. And then another 100, we're going to send them a, a Novell gift bag. So, What are you looking for in a winner? We're looking for someone that we can really help, that Novell can come in and deliver a one-day session with their IT department to determine how they can best move forward. A lot of customers just said, you know what, I see the vision that Novell offers me. Where do I start? I see IDM. I see OES and Linux. How do I get started? And that's really our goal is to just help customers meet with them for a day and help them get started. So you're not just looking for someone who's got a train wreck they need to fix. You're looking for someone where you can make a difference in the environment. Absolutely. And identify where they can move forward. So guys, I'm in this for the laughs. What kind of customer feedback are we getting on this? Well, we had one guy in particular, I'll keep his name silent, is he sent in a self-made video where he discussed, he, he, it was almost a confessional, where he said, please, Novell, help me. I am about to lose my job. I have been over-promising to my boss for years and under-delivering. So if anyone needs an IT rock star, I do. Did you get a lot of desperate uh, entries? Oh, the theme as we read through these, de desperation is absolutely a, a key theme where our customers just over and over again said, I have no budget. I have fewer headcount than I've ever had. I have more demands on my plate. I don't have the time to get trained and learn these new technologies that are rolling out. Help me, please, exclamation points, you know, across the board. So, so a lot of the entries were from people who are desperate. Yes, they want to use our products. They just need help getting started. You have an example there for us. One guy in particular, he said he comes from a Windows background, and so he had a natural prejudice against Novell. Found himself in the middle of a Netware 6.5 shop, and he says, I'm learning to love it. And he wrote a little uh, limerick here. He says, now here's the geek running Windows, whose patches applied each time it blows. Runs Novell now today, so his users now say... Not sure what you did, but it shows. That's David from uh, Illinois, United States. I understand uh, entries from organizations big and small. Yes, we receive applications from companies like SaveMart Supermarkets, a major chain in North America. We received application, uh, an application from Doit, the city of New York, with 10 million users that they want to put in through Identity Manager. 10 million users. Yeah, so let me read the quote. Our greatest IT challenge is to deliver identity management for up to 10 million users, internal and external, with single sign-on services. And they're looking to Novell to solve that 10 Absolutely. million user problem. Fabulous. And there's an example where we're looking at government. We've heard about companies, also charitable organizations. So, yes, we received one from the Research to Prevent Blindness that said our biggest challenge is to convince our aging management to join the 21st century. <laughs> For them to open their eyes. <laughs> right, right. Uh, we, also, we also received one from the United Nations 
WMO organization out of Geneva, Switzerland, who said, if you help us, in a way, you're helping planet Earth. And what's the WMO? It's the world's meteorological organization. Wow. Stop that global warming with Novell's <laughs> exactly. products. So they said, if you help us, you're helping Earth. So I thought that was a pretty good call to action. What kind of help were they uh, trying to ask for there? Actually, their biggest challenge is to integrate different systems. Group-wise, Windows 2000, eDirectory, eOracle, all kinds of different applications are trying to sync and integrate. Okay, so I haven't heard anything funny for a while, guys. What more do you have? Well, we got one from the Gwent Police in the U.K., He says, there once was a Bobby named Simon. I should probably have you read this one. (laughs) There once was a Bobby named Simon who forgot all he needed to sign on. He became so irate, he forgot he was late, so the court went and let loose a real con. (laughs) And there you go, Novell being asked to help keep convicts in jail there. (laughs) Absolutely. In fact, one of the applications came from a private contractor for the largest privately run prison in Waco, Texas. And uh, he said he's been thrown into the netware shop, and he's been given the opportunity to run netware in the prison. When we first read it, we thought he actually was in prison. Because it says, <laughs> I am in the largest prison in the country that's privately run. Uh, but as we read deeper, it was he's an IT administrator there. We have rock stars from four product lines. What has been the mix of applications? Has it been balanced across the four product lines or are the applications focusing on particular areas? You know what? The first set all came in primarily around OES. And then it was interesting as it evened out throughout the promotion. And in fact, uh, the four are basically within a few percentage points of each other. Right. OES being at the top and Linux being at the bottom. Kind of interesting. Well, OES netware. OES Linux. Yeah, that's a hard one to divide. But basically... Basically, they were all about the same by the end. Some of the key messages and, and themes we got from customers, no budget, very few headcount, feelings of desperation were very common. They're too swamped to, to really dive in and, and learn new products. They see the vision, but they just don't know where to start. They have a lot of old technology. A lot of uh, challenges were, they're, they quoted, they're running Zen 2 or SLES 8 or Windows NT, and they're running it on old hardware, and they just don't have the budgets to keep up with all the changes that happen in IT. So we send in a rock star to one of these organizations. Do we get to take a, a lesson out of that and publish what it was we were able to solve and help some of these other? A major goal we have with this promotion is that as we see the similarities in our customer base, we can package up solutions that have solved the problem for one that hopefully can solve the problem for another hundred. And one of the key areas of focus as well out of this promotion will be to engage our partners who are local to these customers. We're only going to send out four consultants, but we have already partners lined up that want to go on site and be the IT rock star for these customers that aren't selected as the top four. So that's a pretty exciting way to engage our partners, allow them to go in and service the customers at a local level and really help them overcome some of these IT challenges that they face. So we're not just bringing in someone to solve problems with Novell products. We're bringing in complete solutions here complete solution providers right there in their own area. Great. Let's have another example. We had a partner apply in Australia and entice us to come down down under and, and enjoy a day with them with pizza and beer. So I thought that was kind of an enticement for Can us. Can I to- raise my hand on that one? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I've got to wonder if there were any that you can't tell us about. Well, there's one that quoted uh, 
a little poem including a reference to Jack Messman. So I guess they haven't got the memo <laughs> that uh, Jack's no been gone for a while. <laughs> uh, Any uh, poking at the opposition? I was just reading one right here. Uh, City of Fresno in California. There once was a company that used Novell. But management decided to change from wonderful group-wise to bloated exchange, and now the enterprise is not doing so well. (laughs) Some of the entries must be from public and charitable organizations in real difficult circumstances. You're going to have some hard decisions to make there. They must be tugging at your heartstrings. Yeah, we had one from Louisiana Department of Social Services who are still recovering from Hurricane Katrina. And they said that they've been on the forefront of migrating to Linux ever since Katrina did its damage. It says that we've done things with Linux that Novell said couldn't be done, but we need your help. So that was an example of uh, you know a social service that really is in desperate need of some support and help there. So that was one example. Uh, another one from a school organization. After he explained his problem, he, he said, of course, none of this is for me. It's the children, you see. They're so hungry for knowledge, and all I want to do is provide for them the best tools that we can do. Thanks from the kids. So that was an example of a, a school organization that, again, they're strapped on budget, strapped on time and ability there. So, And there are entries from customers looking to reduce their costs? Yeah, one clever poem came through. It said, there once was a man named Bill whose notions were over the hill, who arrived at the scene with prices obscene, leaving customers with quite a chill. We entered into this contest. Our entry is much better than the rest. We hope we win. If not, we'll still grin, because Novell is still the best. Hey, thank you for that one. (laughs) So thanks to Lynn. So what's the application with the loftiest or highest goal on it? We received one from Dr. Howe at the National University of Defense Technology in China that wants to replace windows in China. So every building in China will have no windows? (laughs) That's a pretty lofty goal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we know there are a lot of worthy causes. We know there are a lot of uh, government organizations and institutions. But there's a lot of big-name companies out there. Let's hear a few of the highlights. Discovery Channel, the Foot Locker, Scott and White Hospital, L3 Communications, Granger, City of Los Angeles, CUNY, which is the City Colleges of New York, uh, Save Mart Supermarkets, TD Ameritrade, Cablevision, Catholic Healthcare West, United Airlines, the Drees Company, Clark County School District with one of the largest school districts in the nation in Las Vegas, and the city of New York, we talked about, with 10 million users. Most of those companies uh, are North American companies. What about uh, ones from elsewhere in the world? We received some great applications from all over the world, one of them from Qatar Petroleum, one from the Hotel Hyatt Dubai, the Western Cape Provincial Government in South Africa, and several companies in India that are service providers, including the National Informatics Center, the web portal provider for the government of India. Wow. Okay, I got to ask, did anyone from Novell apply? Yes, there was uh, <laughs> there were some people out in the field that said they could use help. <laughs> some people in NTS that needed to <laughs> That'd be Novell Technical Services, which is Novell support. What about looking forward? Do we expect to do this again? Yes, based on the positive feedback and response we got, we definitely want to do it again. It's good for Novell, it's good for our partners, and it's good for our customers. 
Great. Matt Bowman and Clint Carroll, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. That IT Rockstars was pretty funny, at least for me, for a whole nother reason, which is, remember probably about, oh gosh, it it was probably six or nine months ago, I told you about the consultant that uh, said, oh, Novell Open Audio, yeah, I fall asleep to you every night. (laughs) What's so funny is that was Jeff Loomis, one of the guys that we're giving away as an award. So uh, make sure you mock Jeff if he's the one who winds up on your site. And And don't play Open Audio while he's there. At least not in the background. Well, well, dude, Randy, what's up with your feet? (laughs) Oh, my God, Randy's feet are like... I don't know how – it looks like gangrene. They're like deep, <laughs> deep red, and your toes are black. Dude, what did you do? And this has lightened in color considerably. Uh, last week, you know, it was a holiday here in the United States, and I and my family, we chose to spend it up at uh, Bear Lake here in northern Utah. And I made the silly mistake of not putting on any uh, sunscreen on the tops of my feet. And, and I take it you normally wear shoes, right? I do, but that's not the worst of it. The worst Worst of it is the fact that not only did I not put the sunscreen on, but I fell asleep on a chair in the sun with my feet out just there frying, sizzling away. Oh my and you God. were having dreams of fried chicken, weren't you? A <laughs> lobster. Dude, this is unbelievable. I mean, seriously, so I'm, you know, a science and discovery channel junkie. I've seen plenty like the Everest shows. Dude, <laughs> if you were on Everest, I think they'd cut the toes off at this point. They'd probably Those are looking the toe. horrid. Ho- hopefully, do you have any photos like directly after? I do. Can actually. we let's, get let's one of those and post it? You guys to have to see exactly how nasty his feet look. <laughs> this would be beautiful. I say we do it before <laughs> and after. <laughs> I think if we've got to wait until the after photo for that, it's going to be quite. Some it's going time. to be a number of weeks before I'm I'm walking steadily. <laughs> okay. So, so now that we've covered uh, both IT rock stars and Randy's feet, uh, we got another interview that you guys did when I was gone. You guys talked to uh, my buddy Amin, didn't you? Yeah, he talked to us about data classification. Did a great job. Let's hear it. In the studio, we have Amin Martz, who's an applied technology strategist for Novell. Amin, welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me again. Let's start with applied technology strategist. It doesn't sound like it means anything. What do you do? It's the greatest title in the world. Basically, you know, I get to look at customers. I get to find out, you know, from sort of the horse's mouth what our constituency, what our partners are saying, what they need from us. And then I get to look across multiple BUs and apply that. BUs? Business units, sorry. Inside Um, Novell or... Inside Novell, I also have to look at, you know, and and that's an interesting component I just mentioned where I also have the opportunity to look at partners and speak to them, quite frankly, and find out how we can help them and how how we can sort of foster that symbiotic relationship between the two of us and do some good stuff. Is there any direct work with customers? There's a lot of direct work with customers. Um, You know, and that's one of the greatest things about the position is that, you know, I get to interface with customers at different points in times, depending on the sales cycle. You know, I'm not directly involved with the sales cycle, and the role isn't directly involved with the sales cycle. However, we get to interface with them when they're displeased, when they're absolutely pleased. When so they, you don't get a lot of work to do then? I have no work to do whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> now, putting that all together, what we're talking about is you get to be involved in building future solutions that customers don't yet have by working with partners and Novell business units you get to build the future. 
Absolutely. And that in itself is the most exciting thing, being able to look at trends and being able to apply those trends to our existing product line and to future product lines. And when it comes down to it, is it more of sort of a low-level consulting role in the sense that you are a strategist, therefore you would strategize with our customers the future technologies that they need and how we can provide solutions for their needs. But when it actually comes down to implementation, is that something that Novell Consulting takes care of or third-party consulting? Well, it goes in two different directions. I mean, in terms of the actual implementation, we do have you know consulting services that can satisfy that need, and we can lean heavily on our partners as well, as we're trying to do internally. Gotcha. Um, the interesting thing about what, what you just said, too, is that depend- there's, there's five of us in the applied technology strategist role, and the interesting thing is, depending on the geo and depending on geo. the geography uh. <laughs> and depending on the, the business unit, otherwise known as the BU, um, All sounds like BS to me. It, it might. Being <laughs> <laughs> um, on the BU, we all work completely differently, and depending on what products are being launched, you know, okay. our focuses are completely different. Like Great. my focus, for example, is workgroup, so I'm focused heavily right now on training, sales training, and technical training. We've spoken to you before about backup, and we brought you in again to talk about another story issue: data classification. Nothing to do with classified data, I hope. Not, no, not yet, at least. Basically, that classification is a nice way of – actually, let me back up a little bit to answer that question. You know, everyone is really comfortable with talking about SAN, NAS, and DAS, you know, storage area networks, network attached storage, and direct attached storage. And that's fantastic. That's great. But we need to take it down to another level. We need to talk about or arm people with the, the information to understand what ILM, what DLM is, and where does and, DST. And, and how can you, can you define those, ILM, DLM? I am going to define those by using every acronym that I know. <laughs> um, ILM, Information Lifecycle Management, and DLM, Data Lifecycle Management, and then HSM, which is Higher Oracle storage management, and DST, dynamic storage technology. And then underneath there, you can actually fit in data duplication as well or data reduction. Is that well. DD and DR? That is DD. We can just go into acronym soup right now if we want. <laughs> Why don't we just switch over to Latin and make this thing easier to understand? <laughs> well, well, let's start something that strikes me as interesting right away. So information lifecycle management, data lifecycle management, they sound like the same thing to me. Obviously, there's some difference. Yeah, they're, they're a little bit different. And it's interesting because ILM, which is Information Lifecycle Management, has its roots in HSM, which is Hierarchical Storage Management. And I'll kind of back into it this way, where Information Lifecycle Management isn't a particular technology. It's more of a methodology where an organization will look at all of its data and all this data as it relates to compliances, SLAs, um, service level agreements, and address it in that fashion, more of a, a business case scenario. DLM steps in because that's where IT really gets involved and really gets to sit back and say and analyze particular technologies and how they can satisfy the mandates that were sent down through in that ILM process. Okay. Relating back to what I mentioned earlier when I kind of started that the answering that question where you talk about HSM, HSM is about a 30-year-old, 34-year-old technology developed from our good friends boys in blue, IBM. And 
they originally developed that technology in order to move data between mainframes. You, you know, you're decommissioning a mainframe, you push it off the tape or push it off to another storage medium. At that point in time when it was created, it was typically taped. And then you bring up your, your second uh, mainframe and then you're going to be able to migrate that data to that that site that new to the new mainframe that, yeah that, that new mainframe which makes sense I mean you know it's the same sort of process we're just using different leveraging different technology and that's kind of funny because you know when we look at a lot of technologies you know what's old becomes new again you know I mean virtualization is sort of the same the same component from that mainframe environment part um, provisioning so so what I'm hearing there is that it comes back even to my personal experience with storage. I have well over a terabyte of data at home, and that's a drop in the bucket for many organizations, many big businesses. you got to manage that storage because just adding more disks endlessly creates an unmanageable mess, particularly with things like backup. Absolutely. I guess it all comes back to backup. Haha. <laughs> you know, and, and the interesting component here is that when you look at HSM, when you look at these data moving technologies before you get into the the deduplication component, is you can leverage your storage investment by not necessarily having to rely completely on your expensive storage, your fiber channel storage. You know, you can now leverage your storage based on the expense, based on speed, based on performance. The great component about that is that now you, you have a lot of flexibility. You know, you can have your high-performance um, storage arrays in the front end with any type of RAID that you want with RAID 5, RAID 6, RAID 10, whatever you want to use. And then you can go down the path and say, all right, well, I don't need to have all my active data here or I need to have my active data here in my high-performance arrays and move it off to you know, my stale data. These are terms that are familiar with DST. Move that stale data off into my, my lower-end storage. And that works out really well because if you look at numbers, about 60 to 80% of data in an organization isn't changed. It's created digitally. About you know 90% of data is created digitally. And then about 80% of it never gets touched. So you know think about that. Do you want all that data on your very expensive storage array that you're that you're never going to access. Yeah, throw so. it. It makes more sense to throw it off to a lower cost, maybe uh, a lower access time type of data storage, where it can sit and, and grow moldy and dusty for two years before somebody decides to open that Word document. Right. Absolutely. And then that it gives you choices in terms of what kind of redundancy do you want to use. I mean, you can do a JBOD, which is you know just a bunch of disk that has no redundancy because you've taken care of all that. You've backed it up. You've taken your backup target and you're not even looking at this lower tier of storage as a backup target you're backing everything up from that active data repository and once it gets migrated up because why would you want to back up data that's already been one backed up and not really not used ever again you know who cares about that and then taking that one step further then you can migrate that data off onto tape into your offline storage but again this all comes down to the acronyms that we've been using the hsm ilm and dlm where the business is is making the decision from the top level hey based on what we do based on who our customers are who we work with government regulations we need to keep data for x amount of years and that is really the driving force determining this data storage 
right, saying, absolutely. you know, here's here's where we need to keep this data. Here's how long we need to keep it there. After it's migrated, here's the process of dealing with it. Is that correct? That is that is hitting the nail on the head. And, you know, and it comes down to the, the, the first thing that you mentioned, too, is that one of the first stressors is, you know, administrators and finance people don't want to continually add storage every year. That's a huge part of your budget, adding storage year over year. And you it's know, not just a matter of the physical devices. Adding more storage means bigger data centers, means bigger electricity costs, means bigger cooling costs. It's a whole package. Absolutely. Cost. Absolutely. We're effectively talking about making the cost of storing data commensurate with its currency within the organization. Right. Absolutely. The value. I mean, the, the value of data is, is you know, intrinsically tied to, you know, how often you access it. And then there's other metrics you can use behind that, but that would probably be the basis of that scenario. Okay. So I know there's not an administrator out there who's tasked with the job of looking through the timestamps on files and deciding which ones to copy to another file server. What technologies are available to manage this process? Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, if you really hit the nail on the head, I think that in order to compete with globalization and things like that, you should really have a single administrator looking at every single timestamp. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the poor guy. <laughs> Basically, what you're looking at is you can set up, you can set up policies. You know, a lot of this, it has to be policy-based. You want to look at, you know, you can look at a number of ways, and depending on the, on the software that you're using, depending on the solution that you're using, you know, it can be really super easy. You're looking at when it was last time it was accessed. If it wasn't accessed over this particular time, it gets migrated to this storage tier, and then you can cascade that policy and say, okay, well, once it's moved to storage tier number two, if it hasn't been accessed from that particular storage tier, then it's going to be migrated off to you know, a lower storage tier. And that's then, not slash dev slash null, correct? That, correct. <laughs> what products are out there that service those policy that, well the, the you know if you look at it from the perspective of novell centric and going from novell out the first product that we can look at and i'm not saying this in terms of the first product on the market but just from perspective is dst which is dynamic storage technology um that that's one of the first products that i would automatically come to mind because i'm a novell file that second set of products in the hsm space you're looking at third-party vendors. You're looking at your EMCs of the world. You're looking at your NetApps of the world. Um, you're looking at products that are tied to backup and recovery products from Commvault, from Symantec, um, from Legato. And a lot of those products are also tied to email archiving systems. And you can take that one step further and say, well, you look at your Xantasis of the world. Or you look at, again, going back to EMC Legato, we're looking at your, your email extender, so on and so forth. The compelling component of that conversation is that when you look at DST, you don't have to go out and, and then say, well, who, what products are compatible with my array? What products are compatible with my directory system? If you've made that investment to OES2, DST is already built in. So you're looking at lowering your acquisition costs and tightening your integration between your data lifecycle management solution and the product that you've purchased. Dynamic storage technology is the feature, and it's in Open Enterprise Server version 2. Correct. And how does that work? Is it file system centric? It is file system centric. And the great thing about that is that because it sits on top of OES 2, it's a feature. It's an add-on feature where you can turn it off, configure it, and there's a lot of malleability in that. We've talked a lot about technologies for moving files, for migrating what you have on storage. But where does classification come in? I think of classification as being my Word documents, my Excel spreadsheets. 
but also within that there's the functional ones there's my word documents for client a my word documents for client b where does classification come in here and let's not forget the most important of course the mp3s and movies I was just going to get into and that. And your pictures. <laughs> your pictures. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> All in your home directory that administrators love. That gets into another acronym, which is CAS, Content Addressable Storage. Content Addressable Storage sounds to me like a way of saying my documents for client A are addressable as client A documents. Right. And the big thing here, there's, there's two things here where you have, when you look at data lifecycle management or ILM and DLM and the, the acronyms I've thrown up before with HSM and DST, blah, 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 blah. What ends up happening is those can be best thought of as location specific, where you're taking data and you're moving it to a specific location. With content addressable storage, that's a little bit different because who cares about the location? It's I want to look at particular files that I deem that I want to, and I then I want to analyze them and then particularly move them. But it's more concerned with the type of file, not necessarily moving it from one location, from location A to location B. So maybe can I apply that a little bit? Let's say we worked for a police precinct. And of course, all of the data files for any given case might be, might be stored, like you said, who cares where? But down the road, when somebody decides to come in and review that data or review that case, they need to be able to classify and categorize and say, hey, I need all of the files, which traditionally, of course, would have been in some manila folder, which was in some big, huge file cabinet in the back room somewhere. But now, of course, it's stored digitally. And we need to be able to say, I need to look at case number 00XXX, whatever, and I need to see everything on it. Right. That's the great thing about CAS with um, content addressable storage. You've hit the nail on the head. And moving that into another component of technology, this is where you can start to think of knowledge management, you know, that, that KM component. And taking that a step further, now we start seeing the interaction between storage, CAS, and collaboration. And from the perspective of the services and products that we offer, how do those tie into to this big picture? Well, that works out really well because what happens is that ties in really nicely with your, your, te- your collaboration environment from Novell. That's your teaming and conferencing environment. And I'm thinking more about the teaming component here. But that's where things start to really meld together because now you have your centralized data repository you have your searchable centralized data repository that's consumable via a number of Web 2.0 technologies. That's sort of outside the, the context of this conversation. But it comes back to being able to first manage that data in a logical sense and also in a cost-effective sense. So meaning manage that data from the storage sense of the word, but again, from the data classification sense of the word, how is that managed? That's managed, again, centrally, again, through a number of third-party tools that can that cascade the market. You know, you're looking at your, your larger vendors, again, you know, your EMCs and, and going down that, that sort of that short, long list that I had, that I had mentioned before. Okay. And going back to that example Randy gave of a case in a police precinct, incidentally, I thought your record had been expunged. The uh, thing that occurs to (laughs) me is, what if I have pieces of that that are current and pieces of that that are not current? And each of those pieces are on different storage. Do I have a single point of access? I go look at, to use a, a file system metaphor, directory case number, and I see a consistent view 
of the contents of the file names, but they're stored in different locations, not necessarily with a file system view, perhaps a web interface, but I can see all of those different currencies of data in the same view. Well, what I think you're asking is really what is the end user experience? And when it comes down to what the end user experience is, there's two distinct ways to handle that. From the DST perspective, what you have quite frankly, is you have, you know, an amalgamation of two uh, virtual volumes. You know, you're, you're melding the two into one volume that the end user sees. If you're looking at it from a tra traditional HSM, and I'm using the term traditional HSM, sort of I I'm italicizing that, that is typically accomplished through stub files, through pointers. And those pointers, depending on the software, just the metadata. You know, it's not the actual file itself, but it's a pointer. So when the user goes in and says, okay, well, I want to access file X, they don't care where it is, and they, and they don't need to know where it is. However, they all they need to know is that I am going to access it through application X or through file browser X. Looking at it from an email perspective, an email archival perspective, I think it's easier for us to sort of get our minds around that is that that to a certain degree, is relatively configurable. Those icons of those stub files can be different colors, can, can behave a little bit differently depending on the software. So the end user might, the administrator might say, hey, I want my end users to know that this file is archived. So the icon is going to look a little bit different. Or they might configure it so that the end user has no idea what is archived and what is not archived. It's really up to the administrator and to the staff. And that's the second time you've mentioned email is that an important consumer of this type of technology? That's an absolutely huge consumer of this technology. Just because when you look at where a lot of data lives or 70% of corporate data lives or corporate knowledge lives, it lives within email boxes. And that is, that's a big component of what is driving the collaboration industry because what happens when an end user leaves? All that data goes with them. You know, and that goes back to that knowledge management component where – if you don't want, you don't want to have to reinvent the wheel to fix problems or to, or to uh, do anything of the like. You want and, to be able and to compliance, uh, an organization's responsibility for a person's work doesn't leave with that person. Absolutely correct. You mentioned two different eras of hierarchical storage technology: the stub file metaphor, where the directory contains sufficient information to recover the files, but the directory still looks like it contains the files. There are other technologies that are more modern that I assume don't use that stub file technology that don't keep the data, or at least the metadata, in the same location. Does that incur a cost for organizations in building applications that are hierarchical storage aware? You're talking about basically how do you find your data, how do you search it, and you're talking about the database side of it, correct? So it is that type it, of technology. There's a database that correct. hosts the, the remote storage, the hierarchical storage. Absolutely. And I am so far from being a DBA. I can I do I cannot speak intelligently about that. A database administrator, just to define the acronym, of course. A absolutely. I didn't even know that. That's why I'm I, I just use <laughs> acronyms. Um, but I'm so far away from that. But basically, in a nutshell, yes. You know, you're going to have a database in the back end, and, and a lot of a lot of times, you know, that's that is configurable depending upon the size of your data store and the size of your organization. So, I mean, you can use the vast majority of popular databases. Different companies have different applications, different organizations for their data. Does this require that organizations themselves develop applications to manage 
their own hierarchical storage? No, not at all. I mean, the back end, you know, these applications, these solutions are very comprehensive. And the great thing about them is that they're also very malleable depending on, on the size of the organization or the size of the data store that you are working with. I'm not a database administrator. However, you really can pick and choose in almost Chinese menu which database you want to use that you're comfortable with that is going to fit your needs. Not always true. However, for the most part, most vendors give you a choice. So I'm a network administrator. I'm looking at the cost of storage growing exponentially. I'm concerned. I've got open enterprise server solutions from Novell. What do I go tell my manager? Where do I go start with him or her? You can do it a number of two ways. There's a couple of places you, you can start. I mean, and, and if you've already analyzed the situation, you understand that you have to address storage and you have to, you're thinking out of the box, but within the confines of traditional storage management, and you made that investment with Novell, the first thing you can do is you can look at our workgroup products, you can look at OES2, and really sit down and talk to our, our organization about how DST can help you. And we have the means to, to help you analyze your, your data further. If you are outside of the confines in that space and you really want to get a, maybe a little bit more of a holistic view of the market and what's available to you, you can also look at SNIA, Storage Networking Industry Association. And that's and, a, an organization that's a coverall for many, many storage vendors. Absolutely. Involved in standardization of technologies, completely, amongst other things? Completely involved in the standardization of technologies across the board in terms of management of multiple technologies in the storage space. That's also a really great place to start. Um, An unbiased view is what you would get there, I imagine. A completely agnostic view is where you get there. Well, thank you. I mean, this has been a great conversation. I hope it's been useful for our listeners. I, I've certainly learned a lot, and thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me once again. Thank you. So that was cool, but to be honest with you guys, I think I'm going to have to listen to that another time or two if there's going to be a test or anything because there was so much information in that interview that it just kind of shot over my head at points. It was pretty dense. It yeah. really is worth the extra listen. And Amin, I think as Dave stated earlier, is the Novell's foremost expert in acronyms. Got to agree with that. Excellent. Guys, thanks for taking care of things when I was gone. And that's it for this show. And remember, Novell Open Audio is brought to you by Novell Users International in conjunction with Novell Incorporated. Remember, most of our content is directed by our listener community. So please send us a request and comments by leaving them at novell.com forward slash open audio or by sending us email at openaudio at novell.com. That's it for this time. See you next time.